I guess I began to realize as I was traveling the country and speaking at a lot of churches on this topic for women, and I would have these um, Christian women that were steeped in the Bible. They'd been discipled in so many areas of their lives. They'd done, they've done all the Beth Moore studies and uh, BSF or you name it, and they knew the scriptures uh, from cover to cover. But they were asking very common, simple questions about sexuality that they just couldn't understand where God would be in the middle of it. Welcome to another episode of Sex Plus Christian Parents Podcast. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jason. And today we will be talking with Dr. Julie Slattery. Yes. Yeah. And, and with authentic intimacy. And we're really excited to be able to dive into the conversation that she's going to bring forth. And uh, Thomas, I think you'll agree. I mean, we've, we've had a couple of podcasts for men, a couple of podcasts for women. This one kind of, you know, it will start with a little bit of conversation for women, but I think it's definitely something for both uh, parents to be able to engage, to dialogue about. And I'm, I'm actually really excited about what, what's in store for us here on this episode. Absolutely. I can't wait to dive in for what's in store. Well, here you go. Here is Julie. My name is Julie. You've already probably introduced that, but... I'm, a, I'm by training a clinical psychologist, so from the time I was a young adult, really had a passion just for helping people um, live well, um, like live according to God's design. I love the integration of scripture with daily life, and so that drew me to psychology and um, spent the first many years after getting my degree really pretty much being a wife and mom, so working a little bit part-time here and there, but raising our kids and then I uh, had the opportunity to work at it, focus on the family for four years and um, was one of their voices just on the radio broadcast and some media particularly directed towards women's issues. And then while I was at focus, the Lord just really started to stir my heart um, to address sexual issues. And I just saw all this sexual brokenness around me, particularly women's issues again, and that the church was being very quiet and uh, sort of simplistic in the way we were addressing those issues. So uh, in 2012, I left Focus and started a ministry called Authentic Intimacy. I co-founded it with a woman named Linda Dillow, who kind of helped me get the start in it. And then we've been ever since then just ministering specifically on topics related to sexuality, uh, from everything from married to single uh, to cultural issues, pornography, sexual abuse recovery, really the whole gamut of sexual issues and also training church and Christian leaders in more of a discipleship model of addressing sexual issues than what has currently um, been promoted by the church. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. So as you can already tell, Julie's really going to dive into some of the common issues that we see women struggling with. And I, I, I might even go broader than women, but just for sake of conversation, Thomas, you would say that this is probably something that, that you've seen as a pastor. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, not probably something. It's absolutely something mm -hmm. I've seen. I think the church hasn't done a good job of allowing women to explore their own sexuality and so then it's created this this chasm, if you will, this vacuum of what women, who women are as sexual beings and creatures. Yeah, that's really good. I, you know, I, I appreciate how she doesn't make things simplistic. She she integrates a lot of different thought, and I think that comes from her background as a counselor. And in fact, we asked her to dive into this. This is something I really wanted to be able to hear about, and she does a really good job of explaining. So maybe they'd experience sexual abuse in childhood or as an adult, 
And the advice that they've been given was, well, the past is in the past, you know, just move on. Maybe you don't even need to tell your husband that it happened. Like just focus on your marriage. So that's not good advice. Uh, it's not integrated advice with what we know of psychology. Or a woman might ask me, you know, my husband wants me to watch porn with him. Is that I feel awkward about it? Is it okay? Or when the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon happened, so many Christian women, single and married, were engaging with Fifty Shades of Grey without any discernment of, is this an, an issue? And then there's simple things like married women not knowing what does it look like to be a godly woman who actually pursues sex in my marriage? Am I allowed to enjoy it? There's a lot of shame messaging that has happened, particularly for women in the church, about their sexuality. So there's some of that hangover. Virtually no conversation about uh, how to wrestle through things like same-sex attraction or um, gender confusion or dysphoria. Uh, you name it. It's just been uh, this message of, God created sex, he, he created for marriage, so don't be sexual. Not only don't have sex, but don't be a sexual person until you get married. And in, then God's gonna bring this wonderful person into your life. You're gonna have shame-free sex and everything's gonna be good. And that's sort of the, the teaching that women have grown up with. And then even within marriage, uh, a lot of them have just adopted the teaching that sex is a duty, it's an obligation, if I don't do this for my husband, he's going to cheat on me and it'll be my fault. Uh, so those are just some of the examples of, unfortunately, the messages that women have gotten over the years from our lack of willingness to dive into some of these more complicated issues and really give wisdom. And so out of that experience, what I realized is that women don't just need a book. They don't just need a Bible study. They really need to be discipled. And the way that I describe that, Jason, is we don't need to tell people what to think about sexuality. We need to train them how to think about sexuality. Uh, and so that's really um, the focal point of the ministry that I do with a weekly podcast and trainings and seminars and studies is discipleship is lifelong. And you have to have the willingness to address any issue that people bring up, even if you don't know the answer right away. Together, you go to the scripture and you wrestle through those issues. As a pastor, there's nothing that makes my heart happier than talking about discipleship. And this is what Julie is doing as she unpacks this idea is she's gonna talk about sexual discipleship and how important it is for every person to grasp that. I think the best way to describe it is to contrast it with what we usually do, which is sex education. Uh, sex education is a term that you hear thrown around in culture, but I think it's also uh, the approach that many churches and families have taken where you feel like, okay, it's time for the talk. Uh, my kid is uh, 11, 12 years old. They need to be taken away for the weekend and go through some curriculum. And then we check the box and we say our job is done. Uh, or for in the church, maybe pre-married pre couples will go through a week or two of some work on what to expect in their sex life. And then again, they check the box off, you're good to go on your honeymoon. Education is very topic specific and time limited. And you think when you read the material and you learn it, you're done, you move on with life. Discipleship isn't that way. Discipleship means that it's an ongoing journey. It's a conversation, uh, it's relational. 
it uh, it's developmental. And so I think taking all those elements and integrating them into how we approach sexuality is really what we've seen our culture do well. Every day, if you're engaging with culture, you're going to get subtle and not so subtle messages on the purpose of sex, how to, how to steward your own sexuality and gender. You don't even know that you're swimming in that, that culture of sexuality. It just impacts you because it's training you how to respond, how to think, uh, how to put your sexuality within the context of who you are as a human being. The church and the Christian family has not done that. And there's no modeling for how to do that from a Christian perspective. And so it's, it's changing that paradigm. And I think, you know, the other way to contrast it is to look at what a lot of churches have begun doing today, which is more of a problem solving model. Uh, we've got a porn problem. So let's hit that with this curriculum. Uh, some people are having sexual abuse recovery issues. Let's hit that with this with this hammer here, uh, and then you feel like you've done your job. That's very reactive, and it also is just assuming that some people who self-identify need to go deep on this topic, whereas discipleship assumes that, no, this is part of following Christ. It is for everyone, and it's part of uh, the journey towards what it is to have our whole lives be reflective of how Christ calls us to live. Thomas, I, I'm really curious your thoughts on this because one of the things I really love about Julie is this term that she uses, sexual discipleship. It's the first time I've ever heard anything like that. I mean, has this been new to you? Is that something that you've ever heard? No, not framed like this. And this is why I think I love it so much because even when she mentions this is just the natural path for a believer, she's spot on. This is what yeah. we should be concerned with, but we haven't been. Yeah, most definitely. Like I, I when I first heard this, someone else had used it. Not I, I had no idea that that Dr. Slattery was the one that had uh, used this term long before. Uh, but when I found that she was the one that kind of developed this term, has used this term, it just makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, really, what we're trying to do, yeah, what we're trying to do is is to create something that allows for our kids to be discipled. I mean, that is the goal in these conversations. It's not that we're raising up individuals that are following a life of sexual integrity. Sexual integrity is more out of an obedience and a desire to follow yes. Christ. Yes, we can't keep compartmentalizing every facet of our Christian walk. We have to recognize it's all fluid, we're complex, and this is just the natural progression for a believer. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the other things that I just really appreciate about her posture, which is so similar to the ministry that we do, is that she's not just being reactive. In fact, really, a lot of her work is being proactive, right? right? And that is, that is so incredibly important. So, I want us to think about this, how we are not being reactive, but trying to be proactive as we transition back to Julie. And she begins with some thoughts and the importance of the conversation about sex and asking the question, why? I think we need to start with the question, why? Why did God create us as sexual people to begin with? Uh, why are there prohibitions around these certain sexual acts? Let's not Let's not argue right now about what those acts are and dissect the Greek word. Let's start with why does God even say some things are sexually immoral? And why does in the Song of Solomon, he's essentially saying we celebrate these things that are beautiful out of our sexuality. And uh, whenever I teach, I always want to start with that question because I think the church has neglected that question 
And it's the primary question we all ask when we want to learn. Uh, when we push against l rules, like you, you have kids, so your kids at three are going to start asking the question why about everything and they're not going to stop. So as they get older, their why questions change and uh, become more profound. Uh, but there seems to be this sense that when a 20 year old is asking in the church, why is it wrong to, to, to sleep with my girlfriend? but it's not wrong if we get married. What's the difference that a piece of paper makes? And we just go, well, because the Bible says you shouldn't. Now, how does that work for you as a parent when you just say, basically, because I said so? <laughs> uh, and you don't explain the beauty and the rationale and helping your child mature past just obeying the law. Uh, and so in church, I don't think we have entertained those questions uh, beyond just saying, well, this verse says not to do this. Uh, and so I believe that's the place that a church needs to start. And, um, and then everything else flows out of that. Uh, the discipleship flows out of that. And when I say discipleship, I mean small group curriculum. I mean uh, counselors and mentors available to walk people through struggles with sexual temptation, uh, through sexual abuse, healing, through marriage difficulties, uh, through all the different seasons. How do we shepherd through when a church leader falls uh, and make sense of that? All of that are, are elements of sexual discipleship. And so it's kind of this grand vision, and it's not going to be built in a day. But we have to start with a vision because I think most of us recognize we can't just do more of the same. Uh, because if we look at the last several decades of how the church has handled sex, it hasn't handled it correctly or in a way that's been really effective for single people or for married people. This last part strikes me. Uh, Thomas, you're a pastor. You, you and I talk about the church and, and I, you know, there, there's always a part of me that really hurts because I don't always like, I feel like I'm sometimes digging on the church, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I, but I, I have a great deal of love for the church. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for the church. I, I think that many of society's woes and and many of its 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 ability to heal is because of the church. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts would be on that, but I just am struck by some of the stats I've I've come across in recent years around what's happening in the church and what many pastors think is happening in the church. And I'll just give you one brief one, and it's around pornography. Historically, when you ask a pastor, many pastors, the church, the big C church, whether or not pornography is an issue, many will say yes. But then when it comes to their own church, they will say, it's not an issue. Mm. Many of my congregants are, are not, not, not having an issue. Can, let me just go a little bit further, though, because I think that there is this, this separation that happens, and here's why I think this occurs, and I think that there is data that backs this up. There, there is this idea among uh, pastors, when you have them all in a room, they'll all say one of the most important things that the church needs to be able to do is disciple its congregation, right. to create disciples, to, to have discipleship, right. which is what Julie's talking about. Now, when they look at their own church, though, they say they're doing a phenomenal job of discipling <laughs> their congregation, right? So there, there, there seems to be this dissonance that is happening 
within this conversation. Is that a sure. fair assessment? Abs- yes, 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 and yes. Here's the thing. I don't want to admit I'm screwing this thing up, right? I don't want to admit that I'm not doing it well, but here's what I've learned. The more love I have for someone or something, the the, the more I want to help it improve. Yeah. So if I love the church, when I criticize her, it's not because I'm angry at her. It's because I know her potential and I want to see her do better. Same thing with my church. I would never say we're doing everything right. In fact, I'll often admit, hey, we're trying something new. We're trying to work it out because we want to get better. And that's the reality you're talking about there. We can't keep this dissonance of what's happening nationally or worldwide with the Big C Church and thinking our local church is uh, foolproof or 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 going to be the one that doesn't struggle with these things. No, no, no. We all can get better. We all can do better and move forward with this discipleship effort Julie's really talking about. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that Julie will talk about next is is this narrative, the narrative that we've created around sex. And so I, as we're, we're looking at this, I, I, I think about this in our own ministry. We, we really have been working to try changing this narrative. So listen now, she talks about some of the uh, differences in the narratives that have been created. The way I teach this and talk about it is I challenge people to think through three different narratives of sex. And your narrative of sex helps you answer the why question. And if your narrative is wrong, then your reasoning in how you answer every question is going to be a bit off. Uh, Whether it's a question about, can we watch porn as a married couple or what does God think of gay marriage? Uh, and so our narratives drive our daily living. And so the first narrative that I think people really need to understand is the cultural narrative. And this is the one that we're swimming in that has impacted us far more than we realize it has. It's impacted the church's teaching even today. But the, the cultural narrative says that sex is about self-fulfillment and self-expression. And so uh, to be a healthy person means that I have to get rid of whatever barriers I experience that prohibit my self-expression. I need to be a fulfilled human being, experiment sexually. Uh, This is what the wise people of our day are telling young adults. Now is your time to experiment, figure out who you are, figure out what gender you are, what your orientation is. Uh, And if you don't do that, somehow you're not gonna be a fully mature adult. Um, So we've got to recognize that narrative, even as it affects, for example, married people who are like, I'm not sexually satisfied in my marriage. So therefore, God would be okay with me watching porn or um, considering an affair or even leaving my marriage. That's cultural narrative thinking. Um, So I, I think it's important to paint that picture because the purity narrative is responding to that cultural narrative. And the purity narrative really hit its stride in the 80s and 90s as a response to the 60s and 70s free love movement and sex positivity and all this. And so the church is saying, oh no, like our kids are doing this and that and it's creating all these problems. How do we stop it? And they came up with the narrative that we've all heard kind of growing up, which is the one that I already kind of said, like God created sex. He made you to become sexual when you get married. So your sexual desires and drives are wrong before you get married. If you want to be a complete mature person, you have to save sex until you get married. And anything that compromises that compromises really yourself as a Christian. 
and God's plan for your future. And so uh, that has set people up for a lot of confusion, not just about sex, but more importantly about God. Uh, I believe that every sexual issue is at heart a spiritual issue. And when we get sex wrong, we're also getting God wrong. And the biggest devastation of the purity narrative is not even so much what is done to marriage is that's sad. But the greatest devastation is that it has been a catalyst for people walking away from the Christian faith because if God withheld pleasure from me in this area, if he promised me X, Y, and Z if I did this, and he didn't deliver, then he's not a faithful, loving God. And we saw this happen with Josh Harris very publicly, but it's happened thousands and thousands and thousands of times to people that we'll never hear about. And um, and so I, I think it's important to see that because both the cultural narrative and the purity narrative are at some level based on lies. And uh, a good lie is is compelling because there's a piece of truth in it too. And so there's truth both in the cultural narrative and the purity narrative. But foundationally, they give us a, a misunderstanding of God's character and the why behind sexuality. So, um, so my passion is teaching the true narrative, which I call the biblical narrative, which is a whole lot richer than most of us, what we heard growing up in the church. One thing I've always said is that the best lie is one that just slightly twists truth. Hey, I think that's what Satan, we see him do in the garden. He doesn't give a, brand, a, a a grand statement to Eve. He just slightly twists what God says. And so I love that Julie is picking up that the cultural narrative and the purity narrative, they, they have truth in them, but it's just this slight twist on the biblical narrative that leads us into some very harmful places. I, I really want to go back to Julie focusing on what she calls the biblical narrative and how there's so much freedom and so much richness in it for us. You got to know that the biblical narrative is rooted of sex is rooted in the larger biblical narrative of uh, creation. You know, God created everything good and then fall. Uh, sin messed it up and we continually to mess it up and then redemption, but Jesus and he came to redeem us. And so when you're teaching five or six year olds the in their language, this story of creation and God's love, the fall and redemption, even by little things like you hit your brother, uh, that's, that's sin. God wants us to love each other, but here's how we repair it. So you're doing this over and over and over again. And then as they grow, you begin linking that to sexual conversations. Uh, why, you know, how do you describe pornography? Well, God created your, sec your sexual curiosity and desire for a good thing. But here is how sin and Satan is distorting it, and it's going to impact you. It has impacted me. But this is where how Jesus teaches us to look at this differently, or this is how we confess our sin. Um, so that's one way. Um, another way, this is something that I remember doing with my sons when they were at those ages where um, they began to really have struggles with sexual desire, is I remember telling them, your sexual desire has got God's way of, of telling you that you are not made to do life alone. And just reframing it that way, like that's a good thing. I'm glad you have that desire because that's what's going to cause you to take the risk to get to know 
a young woman. Uh, that's what's going to cause you to pursue a woman. That's a good thing. Um, but here's where it can go wrong. And for all of us, it has gone wrong. And I think being realistic about in our day and age, most of our kids are going to engage in pornography or sexting or experimentation. They're going to have some confusion around these things. And so anticipate it. Don't have the attitude of, I got to keep them in the Tupperware uh, until their wedding day. You want to journey with them through the challenges, through the failures, through um, loving them through it, just like Jesus would love them through it. And so, you know, again, that's much more of a discipleship model than an education model. So this speaks to my own story, which I don't know if I've ever shared this part of it on the podcast, but before I was married, and Jason, I don't think you know this, I never wanted to be married. Hmm. Didn't right? know that. I didn't want to be married because I took Paul's words to heart where he says you can do more for the kingdom if you're single than when you get married. And I had some major sexual struggles when I was single that I was never discipled through. And what I was told was, well, wow. to calm those, you got to get married. And so I thought marriage was the path to go. And so I love that she's sitting here saying that that's not what we should be doing for singles. And this is why today I have a huge heart for my brothers and sisters who are single, because the answer isn't marriage. It's not going to fix you. The yeah. answer is being discipled into a Christian Christ-like behavior that resembles his image. And I love that she's hitting on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, just going back to what we've talked about over and over again around marriage, and it, it's, it's really a calling. Like, right, so. you, you being called into marriage. And that's why, you know, we, we asked Julie to even dive into the conversation around singleness. Well, some of it is looking at how the church has presented marriage and with that sex as the hallmark of maturity. And we really have done that. I Like I said, I worked at Focus on the Family. I love marriage. I love family. Um, the Bible elevates both of them. But I think we have done more than elevate. We've kind of uh, made them idols and markers of maturity. So just like the culture would say you have to experiment to be mature, uh, the church would say you have to be married in order to experience the fullness of maturity. Uh, and we skip right past the point that Jesus wasn't married, that Paul wasn't married. Uh, we would never argue that they lacked something. They were, they were not fully mature because of their marital status. Or we skip right past the fact that Jesus is maybe some of his closest friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, appear to be this sibling group of three that live together. There's no mention of any of them being married. And Jesus isn't trying to set them up with somebody. Uh, and so all of Scripture, particularly as we read the narratives in the New Testament and get to know the people of the New Testament, Marriage is honored, but it is not put out there as a marker for maturity. And therefore, sexual experience isn't put out there as a marker for maturity. Um, now, here's where this we need to understand this, and this is where that biblical narrative helps us understand it. God created sex to be a way that we experience something that helps us look up and say, wow, that's what God is like. And so... It's kind of like uh, if you do a jigsaw puzzle. When you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, you're continually referencing what's at the front, what's on the front of the box, what picture am I creating as I'm putting the pieces together. And when we look at understanding our sexuality, we're essentially doing a jigsaw puzzle without knowing what's on the front of the box. 
And the scripture is saying, if you want to understand your sexuality as a single or a married person, you have to understand that the picture you're supposed to be creating is this love of Christ in the church. And so for the married couple, this has all kinds of applications, but it also does for the married person because we're told that Jesus said, like the bridegroom is going away and there's going to be a time of mourning and of fasting and of longing. And Paul's saying that all of creation is groaning and waiting for Christ to come and for us to be united as the children of God and as the church, as the bride of Christ. Like that's the whole narrative of the New Testament. And so for the single person or for the widowed person or the divorced person, or I would say even for the person in marriage who is experiencing a lot of unfulfillment and loneliness, you're still experiencing part of that picture. You're experiencing the piece of the picture that is like, I, I don't feel complete. Like I'm longing for something I don't have. And, uh, and, and I've, I believe no matter where we are in the journey, whether we're single or married or unhappy or happy or whatever it is, when we see the spiritual significance of what God wants to show us in that experience, it turns our eyes from making marriage the finish line, and it helps us recognize that marriage was just supposed to be the appetizer. Wow, supposed to be the appetizer, right? Like, <laughs> like that's that's a that's a that's a good one. I I have to say that I really appreciated her little bit on there with regards to the three individuals that follow Jesus and 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 wasn't trying to set them up. Like Jesus right. wasn't trying to set them up because <laughs> as someone that lived the experience of being single in the church uh, for many years uh, and and was in some ways looked down because I didn't marry until I was thirty four. Right. It, it, it I I resonate with this on so many levels and i think that it's a great example and a great reminder of what we need to be able to do what's number one goal what's the goal that that is set before us it is that our kids are followers of jesus if we're going to disciple our kids into a christian sexual ethic first and foremost they have to know and want and love to follow christ as their savior and so often, that's not what our number one goal is, or at least we lose sight of that when we start the conversations around sex. And that's why I think Julie's final thoughts on this are so important. I would say that you you want your kid not to follow a value that you didn't have. You want your kid to follow a savior that you didn't have. Uh, because a, a value, again, is something that can change with time. Uh, it's something that, again, can feel like a pass or fail morality test. But the beauty of your past is not whether or not you messed up. The beauty of your past is how God redeems everything. And this is something that I think is critical for parents to understand. We cannot give away what we do not possess. And so uh, as you're being called to sexually disciple your kids, really the first step is to say, I need to be sexually discipled. If I have this past that I'm still carrying shame around, then how can I talk to my kids about it without that shame spilling onto them? Uh, and do I really believe it when the scripture says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do I really believe it when scripture says that Jesus has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west? 
And most of us, if, if we're being transparent, would say, I, I struggle with that at a personal level. Like, I don't think that reality has become true for me. And so I think there's a lot of work that we want to do as parents, knowing that the greatest discipleship is the overflow of what Jesus is doing in our hearts. And so when you have that conversation with your kid, it's not, oh, I made so many mistakes and don't ask me about it, but I just don't want you to experience that. It's more, let me tell you about the difference God has made in my life in this area. And you can ask me questions. I'm going to answer them appropriately to your age. I'm not going to hide anything um, because I want you to know the power of God and the goodness of God that when he gives us these rules, He's protecting us against experiencing the kind of pain that I went through. Uh, and I don't want you to go through that pain, not just that I don't want you, I want you to avoid the mistake. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Sex Plus Christian Parents Podcast. We're so grateful for you, our listener, that spend this time diving into this conversation, and we're just grateful for that opportunity. Real quick, Wanted to let you know about two very important things. One, you can support the work of this podcast in Project 619 by becoming a Patreon supporter. So make sure you check us out and give us some love. We would absolutely appreciate it. And we also want to let you know about Christian Sexuality. Christian Sexuality is now a resource for helping you disciple your youth in a Christian sexual ethic. It is broad, it is robust, and it is theologically deep. Check it out now at www.christian-sexuality.com. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast.